if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. We've got Catherine back today, Catherine Crisley, but before I do that, I just want to remind you about the values of International Horse College. So horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance when humans have any interaction with horses. And within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers in all our courses at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, Catherine, we're talking about cantering today. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. Now, Catherine, I've had a look at your questions. You know, some of them I think, oh, well, I'd say a different way, but I think this is a really good way for us to say to the horse world, you know, so I'm mm -hmm. coming in from a dressage and eventing background in Australia. You know, you've got a different background. Some of your terminology is going to be different to my terminology. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so I think, well, let's, let's get going with this. And there's actually one particular word that, yeah, when I was in the US, we used to talk about it a lot. And then I came back here and started talking about it. And they went, no, that's the wrong word. Just you talk about <laughs> this. So let's, let's, yeah. Um, yeah, let's just sort of move on. But we'll go through. We're going to talk about the canter today. So mm -hmm. as an introduction, first of all, why did you choose this? I, I'd been working with some people lately who had never cantered a horse. Mm -hmm. And so we were talking about just all the, the basics and the understanding of it. One thing I think when I teach is if I can bring the the understanding of how it works and, and what's going on in the horse's body when you canter, it helps people understand why I'm saying something. And I, I may say it quickly like, oh, oh, inside shoulder back, you know, mm. uh, and they'll understand that they need to, as we always say, align their shoulders where they want the horse's shoulders to be, align their hips where they want the horse's hips to be, um, and allow the horse to follow that position. And if I can have them understand that, oh, that's why, then when I say it, it comes a little quicker to to perceive it and to do it. Does that yeah. make sense? Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, there's two things I just want to bring up there, and that's the first one is teaching people to canter. It's a really big thing mm -hmm. in some cases. You know, walk and trot's okay, particularly if you've got a horse that's a bit big and a bit energetic in the canter. You know, you're not just on a, a little pony that sort of goes around and does a four-beat canter the same speed as a trot, <laughs> you know. So, so right. that's, I mean, while, while you say, well, we don't want that, we, we actually <laughs> do because they're the ones that really build up the confidence in some of our riders. And, and it's some, essential, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And some of our horses that don't have pure gates and mm -hmm. they never, ever make it in the show ring, are sometimes the absolutely ideal horses to teach beginners on. Not everything is in the show ring, right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, just going, I want to bring it a little bit further when you said about aligning shoulder and hips, because I think I understand you, but I want to expand that a little bit, right? So if we're aligning our shoulders and hips, if I think of a circle, right, and I put a pin in the middle of the circle, so right. we've got the horse going round on the circle, following the circle, and we put a line between the outside shoulder, the inside shoulder, and the pin in the middle. Mm -hmm. 
right? I like this analogy. Yeah. Okay. The outside, <laughs> the outside hip, the inside hip, and the pin in the middle. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the rider has the outside shoulder, the inside shoulder, the pin in the middle, the mm-hmm. outside hip, the inside hip, and the pin in the middle. I like that. Does that yeah. make sense? Right. So that then makes, we can yeah. say well, we're aligning our hips and shoulders. And we're mm-hmm. not getting our riders going around in some sort of twisted, consorted position, you know, they're naturally aligning their hip and shoulder because they're thinking of aligning with the middle and just following the circle. Yeah. I like that because it is a subtle thing. Mm, um, mm. Anything twisty and dramatic is going to confuse the horse and going yeah. to put the rider at disadvantage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I even I even know that I'll explain it one way. I might explain it like that to a rider and they don't get it. And then I've got to go and, and if you've got a few different explanations in your toolbox, sometimes you can go from one to the other to the other and might be your third or fourth one before the rider goes, oh, I get it now. Yeah. I, yeah. I call circles in the dirt, horse's spine, yeah, following that curve. Yeah, and if the curve is tight, you're, yeah. But a hundred different ways to, to get through and we all sort of speak or comprehend differently. And then someone will come into a lesson one day and say, you know, I really got that, the spine following this shape of the circle. And then I found out that a lot of the horse's spines actually fuse together. And you go, oh, forget about that. Let's, <laughs> let's just, we'll talk about that now, you know. So <laughs> so it's like you teach you teach something in the first place and then you've got to say, okay, now we're going to learn a little bit more in depth or this mm-hmm. is what we're going to do now. Now we need to make it a, a bit of a more subtle aid or think of doing this and and now we're going to make it look not so, you know, thinking mm-hmm, thinking mm-hmm. that a good rider, good rider looks like they just sit there. A good rider, if they're, if they're a good rider, they look like they're doing nothing. You know what I say? I say that in the beginning when we're riding, our seat and our body sort of interferes with the horse. <laughs> and then as we learn, we begin to follow the horse. And later we influence the horse but it's a process. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You can't influence if you can't even control your own body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start off the legs. So we talk, you might say how the legs work in candor. I might say what's the sequence of legs in the candor, but I think they both mean the same thing. Is that right? The same exact thing. It's just the candor is, is a, it's a gate of three beats. And in an ideal world, it initiates with the outside hind is the first beat. Then the diagonal pair of inside hind, outside foreleg land together. Then the leading inside foreleg lands. There's a moment of suspension and then it repeats. And this is talking about, you know, on a circle thinking of the lead. And in an ideal world, it starts on the the outside, on the hind. But a lot of horses will pick it up from that leading foreleg. And young horses, inexperienced horses, horses that aren't quite sure what you're asking, that can happen. And in this country, um, with saddle seat riders and Western riders, often they'll kind of position the horse's head to the outside to open up and kind of pop that inside uh, shoulder so that that leg comes out and takes the lead. And then it begins off of the very last beat of the canter. in the dressage and in the hunters and working, we tend to want the horse to depart from the hind end. And it's such a subtle difference, but the way that we align their body to get that is yeah. different. Yeah. 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 It's almost a trick, you know, that tiny bit of flexion to the outside of the circle. It is. Okay? It is. It's a bit of a trick and, and people go, it's incorrect, it's wrong. But if you think using the technique 
of, say, supporting outside rain, but almost going into a bit of shoulder four as I go to canter. And I think uh-huh. the, the outside rain support helps to put right. them onto the correct lead. But I think, you know, and depending too, the training horses. So training horses, if a horse has been trained a particular way, say it's been trained to flex to the outside of the circle and you don't want to do it like that, sometimes you've got to say, well, let's just start to train this way and then we'll influence the horse a bit more. And by the time you've done a few and influenced the horse a bit more, then the horse goes, oh, it's a supportive outside rein, it's a bit of shoulder for and then it goes into the correct lead. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, you know, if I have, have a horse that, knows a certain aid, a certain way of allowing his body to pick up the lead that you want, we don't suddenly change that because then we're not going to have success. The horse will be confused. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes on a young horse, to help him, you're going to support him a little bit more on that outside rein and allow the opening of that shoulder to take that. Um, But it's just a way to think of how horses start the canter kind of either one way or the other mm-hmm, with the mm-hmm. on the forehand or on the haunches and it's harder to start on the haunches that's why oh, that's right know, yeah. yeah the horse yeah, has exactly. got to be more a more educated horse and working exactly less on the yeah. forehand yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway the inside leg you call it the power leg tell me how you explain <laughs> that because like we're talking with the canter like at the at the walk and the trot the horse is is always supported equally yep. on each side. Yep. In the canter, the horse has to stay slightly bent. It's bent slightly to the lead. And the lead will be the inside of the turn that you're making, at least at this point, until we start talking about counter canter. Um, the horse is always bent to the canter and to the lead. And when this is happening, there's engagement of the haunches. And I call the inside hind leg the power leg because it's coming under and taking a little more weight than any other leg as the horse canters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And by being aware of that and that bend, that's the leg that's that's balancing because the horse is always slightly bent in the canter. When they look straight, it's an illusion that they are moving straight. It's because they possibly have a, a tiny bit of shoulder in, something to allow the body. The horse's hips are wider than the horse's shoulder. So in the canter, if they go perfectly straight, here's the thing, and if we straighten up, they come right back to trot. Because if everything straightens up, the only thing that body can do is trot. There's that little bit of flexion, that little bit of bend, both hopefully, that allows the horse to push off each time with that power leg, that inside hind leg. Even though it starts with the outside, it's that diagonal pair that land in unison that create that ability to maintain the canter. And so, yeah, a power leg might possibly be just my own terminology. But I think the way you've explained it, and I think as instructors, we do tend to get, you know, especially if we're not if we're not mentored and, and not teaching in front of group. I suppose I'm in a fortunate position where, you know, I do a lot of training of instructors and and from uh, that yeah. I'm I'm very much aware of people using terminology that may not be quite classical you know you're talking about a power leg and that may be a good terminology to teach some of your students right right? but you've just got to be aware and say to them this is the way I explain it you might go to Mm -hmm. another instructor who doesn't explain it quite like this but this is the way I find best to to do that exactly yeah Yeah. and technically in any turn no matter the gate when a horse is turning that would be the 
the power leg. The leg that engages more is that always that inside hind on a turn? Well, I always think when I'm explaining trot diagonals, you know, we sit in the saddle and you're more influential when you sit in the saddle. Mm-hmm. But it's the inside hind creates a lot more energy than the outside. So think of sitting in the saddle when the inside hind is on the ground, which is the same time as the outside fall. You know, if That's we're how you can, check. you can look down and check it, but yeah. You, yeah, you don't look back at the hind leg. <laughs> that's exactly right. right. Yeah. 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 So it's sort of, you know, I think that's everyone gets their way of explaining things that they find easier. And then sometimes too, you know, I teach a lot of instructors and sometimes they'll explain something and I'll say, oh, that's a really good way of explaining that. Um, I love your pen. I love your pen analogy at the middle of the, yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I yeah. just think that's that's the way that I've found because I, I know I was riding. I didn't understand. And I thought I had to ride a bit twisted and contorted. And it was quite a few years before someone said, no, you know, it's got to be a little bit different. Yeah. Subtle. Yeah. Tell me about changing leads because you've talked about inside and outside. So, Obviously, if we're going to the right, the right's the inside. If we're going to the left, the left is the inside. Um, well, we're not talking about counter-counter at this stage, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. changing leads. Tell me how we change leads. And we'll first of all talk about why we change leads, and then let's talk about how we change leads. Keep a horse in balance mm-hmm. in a turn. If you're going down a straight line at the counter, really doesn't matter what lead you're on. Like say you're a, a trail rider and you're just going to go ahead and, and canter down this nice straight stretch of sand. It won't matter which lead you're on. Um, you don't want to stay on one for the long time. Just like changing your posting diagonal, you would kind of come down and change over to the other lead so your horse gets balanced. But if you're on a turn, any kind of turn, your horse will be more balanced on that inside lead because the horse's body wants to bend to the lead. So when you want to change direction, you want to change the lead that you're on. And the horse understands this. If you watch horses, you know, you know, running around together, I'll say cantering or galloping. We'll talk about gallop later. They will kind of plan ahead and they're coming up to a turn, a corner or a fence and they're going to decide I'm going to turn to the right. So they know they're going to take the right lead. And they do that on their own and they go back and forth and they are very balanced when they're doing that because they are prepared and they know. When you're riding, he doesn't necessarily know that, okay, I'm going to come up here on a figure eight and I'm going to go the other direction. So you have to change leads, either a simple change of lead, which is coming down to another gate. The trot is easier. Coming all the way to the walk is a little harder. And then you pick up the canter on the other lead. The other way that you do is a flying change, which a horse will do on his own, which is to change both sets of legs to the other lead. Now, it's considered correct if it changes behind first and then the front. So but it's up not, to that period of suspension. Right, exactly. It's not a sin on your horse's part if he changes in front and then changes behind. It's just not considered correct. But if he's doing that, he's trying to give you what, what you want. And it could be that he doesn't yet understand that everything is changing to the other direction. A flying change of lead is something that has to be with finesse taught to the horse and it's the subtle aids that we finally are giving that can tell him here we come we're going to change and he changes in that suspension just like they can change what lead they're on over a jump we can talk about that later too but if he only changes on one and doesn't change on the other 
he's in what we call a cross canter or a disunited canter. It's, it's interesting. And that's probably the word that I was going to bring up. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was in Florida for about 12 months and we talked yeah. a lot about cross cantering, right? Cross cantering. And I came back to Australia and oh, I got slammed for it. What's this cross canter? Disunited canter, you know? So I understand what you mean when you're mm-hmm. saying cross cantering, but additionated canter if we're interpreting into Australian as well. That's <laughs> exactly it. Yeah. And the, the disunited canter is just one lead on the front, the opposite lead on, on the hind. But if you watch horses carefully, you can see why that can happen. If a horse is in a very small circle on the lunge or in a round yard or something like that going very small, they will often, because they feel like they're going to fall over, They'll start leaning, you know, the the circle's too small for them at that point. They'll start leaning and they will go into that disunited canter to try to hold their balance and not just kind of flop over. So one of the things I notice when people are riding, if they are making their circle too small, they're at the canter, they spiral in too small, the horse may end up swapping leads and trying to figure out how to stay up. We want to always remember that we have to give them, set them up for success and give them an appropriate size of a circle or a turn for the level of training and musculature and suppleness that they have so that they they can maintain it and not be uncomfortable with it, you know. Yep. Okay. So we've got, you know, we, we talked about the flying change. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about the disunited canter, also called the cross cantering. Um, and I've got to put in too, I did a chat with Christoph Hess. We did something... He said, and the the whole chat, you know, we're sort of summarising more towards beginner riders, but for someone who's a dressage rider who really, really wants to get into the depth of this subject, um, there's a really good chat there. But I think what we're doing is giving a lot broader overview of the canter. And I think sometimes people say, look, I'll just give me the broad overview. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so techniques to get a proper lead to part. What do you use? We talked a little bit mm-hmm. about, you know, correct leads and how to get a horse going from trot to canter or walk to canter before and what we, we're doing with the contact. But what aids do you normally teach your beginners, you know, like when they're first right. going into canter, just learning about going in or even preparing, going on a bit further, but to get a proper lead to part, um, what do you think helps there? I tell them to imagine they have an eyeball in the middle of their chest. Mm -hmm. And with that eyeball, they want to look in the direction they're going to go. Okay. They're on a circle. And that helps with that whole shoulder position. And instead of saying, like often people say, put your outside leg back, I say, have your outside hip back. That just puts the leg back a little bit. Mm. We don't want to do, you know, this exaggeration. And on a horse that already knows it, which hopefully... A green rider is not on a green horse. In a horse that that knows, I say, scoop with your inside sitting bone, as if you're just, you know, scooping ice cream out of something with your inside sitting bone. Lift your shoulders, eyeball in your chest, everything all at once. Both legs, because one leg means, you know, to move a little bit over. Both legs at the same time. Inside leg is at the girth. And ask for the canter and imagine that you're holding a shopping cart and you're pushing the shopping cart down the aisle, don't throw it away and don't pull back. And those are my sort of, and we go through it over and over and talk it through. If a rider has uh, the awareness of the footfalls in the trot, 
because you know you can practice a lot at rising trot and understand okay what the trot is then you begin sitting trot because generally you're going to get a better depart from a sitting trot even if it's just for that one stride than you will from rising but if you're feeling that and you know when inside or say left leg grounds right leg grounds left leg right leg grounds if you are thinking of how the canter begins with that outside hind leg, as soon as you feel the inside hind leg ground, you give your canter aid and that outside hind leg is what's coming up and pushes the horse off. And then you, you, can, you can roll out into the canter if you haven't somehow restricted in front or you know distorted the aids for it. And by that awareness, you can have it. If someone's having trouble, or if I'm working with a horse that's having trouble with a lead or with understanding it, I'll start trotting a figure eight with a pole on the ground in the middle. And each time they come to the figure eight, they will trot over that pole. And then just as they come to it, I'll say, I want you to trot the circle to the right, counter the circle to the left. Ask for your counter to part as you step over that. Horse and rider have both gotten into that you know, here I'm doing a figure eight thing. Mm. And as soon as they start to step over the pole, it can help because there's a little elevation in the horse as they step over. Mm -hmm. Rider gives the aid immediately at that point, and the horse will tend to just pick up the correct lead. It's a useful tool. There are lots of tools and things we can use. It's an explanation that this is the direction we're going, both, you know, for the rider and for the horse. And if you counter one side, trot the other side, then later you switch it and you trot the left circle and counter the right circle, you be, the rider gets that feel of how to tell the horse this is the way we're going to go. I mean, a lot of people have some pretty blatant and perhaps aggressive ways to get it, but that's not the point. The point is to set the horse up to be successful and to be balanced in it. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they're understanding, they're wanting to do it. They want to know which way we're going. They don't want to get out of balance. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now, and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Yep, yep. Look, I love I love the way that you've explained that. It's... um. You know, I could probably just sit on the rail and listen to you teaching all day and go, oh, that's a good way of explaining it. That's a good way of explaining that. Do you find that the kids and the teenagers, they say, oh, let's just go. I just want to go faster mm -hmm. and higher and let's get going. But then as yes. <laughs> people get a little older and, you know, I don't know, more intellectual, more just thinking about things, they much prefer to know exactly, you know, and you saying about this leg touches the ground and that's when you do it. And and they really develop the feel and really want to get that accurate. And they're more worried about mm -hmm. getting it precise um, rather than just getting out and doing it. Yeah. 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 And I like the uh, the outside hip back. You know, we talk often about the outside leg back in Canada, but 
you know, when we go back to that pin analogy, a horse is yeah. the, the outside yeah. leg should already be a little back. Anyway, if you just, you know, if you're going around and following and sometimes right. if the rider puts their outside leg back, that just encourages them, you know, they might be back in the flanks or something that's going to encourage the horse to kick up. Right. So that can be a bit of a problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just to do with the techniques to change leads, what do you use there if you're changing? You're using the techniques that you've said from trot over a pole to canter, but to change leads, do you use that jump in the middle or not, or how, how do you do that? I like to have, have that pole to help me teach so that the horse is understanding too. And, of course, if it's one of my school horses, I used to have school horses. Yeah, uh, yep. I'm mostly rescue horses now, yes. but um, the horses that I have trained, they know exactly what's going on. It helps the rider because the rider too needs to be set up for success. If we're going to do, say we're going to counter the entire figure eight now with the pole that they go over right at the center, then I, I will have them. This is my best tool sometimes to make them understand that you ask for the other lead when you start the next bend. So I have them come to the trot and, you know, two strides out from that pole and ask for the canter as they go over it. A lot of times you see people, um, the, the riders asking the horse to to come to the trot and then change leads, but they keep their flexion, their bend in the direct old direction and don't completely change. The pole helps. It's a visual aid, not just for the horse. It's a visual aid for the rider and a visual aid for me to see if they are getting it, so to speak. It helps me to further explain. And you know, the truth is like when a horse goes over a jump, it's just a big counter stride up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. And so you can even take it. If you have a horse that is jumping, you can make a little cross rail there, eventually a little tiny vertical. You're doing things to help the rider understand and the horse is going, okay, this is, I'm a little bit in the air. I'm a little bit suspended here. I'm going on to the other lead. And that's, that's what you do over a jump you're on a course and you're going to change direction at that jump, you, you've come in on the left lead. As soon as you get, the horse comes off the ground with the forelegs, you take that eyeball in your chest and you look in the other direction you're going to go. And just because it's, it's happening quickly and I'll, I'll say, step a little bit more on your new inside stirrup because it's going to give the horse the direction that we're changing direction and it's not a lot it's like two ounces more but the horse feels it mm-hmm. and just that change in your body position will help for the landing because as the horse goes over the jump they're still maybe in that left lead they're going to change to their right lead their off lead um the least little bit of indication that way he can change those legs he's in the air and has that moment to do it and he can change and land on that right foreleg and like we say that's the last part of that stride. So when he lands on that right foreleg, he's going to come into that right lead counter in most every situation. And why not help him? You know, give him a lot of indication. Don't don't think he's a machine that you program, right? Yeah. And then this is where I think too, you know, we've talked before about horses in the show ring and horses and teaching teaching horses or teaching riders or whatever. And and as far as teaching show jumpers, that's just a normal thing, I suppose, as a as a dressage purist, you know, you, you think, well, you don't want to have that one stride dishonite canter, you know, because as you go over the jump, you're landing and free changing in front first and then changing behind the next stride. But as right. far as as far as teaching riders, teaching riders how to do a change, teaching horses that show jump, 
how to do a change. It's often used that way. And just the exercises, you know, just having something like when we go over this pole, makes sure the riders are coming up and they're going, I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready. Um, and it's a good thing to keep the riders keeping their mind on the job as well. Yeah. Right. We all need tools. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. And I think this is where you get different tools depending on which level of riders that you're teaching, you know, and and what their goals are. You know, if their goals are just, I just want to canter or I just want to, you know, learn how to do this, then you can focus on that. But if they say, well, I want to be a Grand Prix um, dressage rider, then it's a different goal. Totally you different. Know, different riders, yeah. different things, yeah. And you, you know, Glenis, I have had horses in my life, wonderful horses, who through some some injury or inability within the body could not take a specific lead. Yes. Well, that horse doesn't go in the trash can. It's like, well, we can canter all day in the left lead out in yep. the desert. Yep. So it it's what your goal is, like you're saying, and it's what your horse can offer that you can go ahead and enjoy your relationship, right? Yeah. And I think that's important, what the horse can offer, you know, because if the horse mm-hmm. can't offer certain things, then don't do those things, you know. Don't, exactly. you know. No. I had a yeah. lovely horse that he just was very, very uncomfortable in the canter, but he was mm-hmm. lovely and quiet and he'd walk and trot and he had the most comfortable trot. Well, he's just a perfect horse to teach beginners on to do walk and oh, trot. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. walk and trot, put him on the lunge and you could use him all day. Well, you don't want to use him all day, but, you know, he's a very good horse and by the time the horse and people are ready to canter, there might be another horse there that does. You know, it could be one that's that one that's not suitable for the walk and trot, or one that can do the walk and trot. Maybe the four beat canter, and the four beat canter is not going to be suitable for a dressage horse, but is very suitable if they can canter the same same um, speed as the trot, just to give them the the riders the feeling of the canter. Yeah. Yeah, and and then you get some that are that are quite sound if you don't jump them, but you don't want to be jumping them too much, otherwise they're just you know a bit old and not sound. So we've just got to use the horses for what they can, um, for what they're comfortable with. Yeah. To, yep. To always remember, yeah, what they can do. Yeah. 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 Yep. Now talk about the types of canter because we've just talked about canter at this stage, and we've talked about the right and the left. I think we, um, but but. We talk about the counter canter first. Sure. Mm. So, what we call counter canter is the horse turning to the left on the right lead. And counter canter is a very useful exercise. I have found it to help with horses with back trouble. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not going around on the wrong lead. And here's the difference between those two things in counter canter, the horse is flexed to the lead. In the wrong lead, the horse is flex to the left and and cantering to the right, cantering on the right. You want the horse to always have his body bent to the lead. And if he has if he says that slight bend and he's cantering on the right lead and turning to the left, and you can still see his right eye, the eyeball for the lead, then he is in counter canter. Yeah, and I think that's an important explanation, you know, because there is a bit difference between horses being on the wrong lead and horses being incorrect counter-canter. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's a useful thing. And it's quite a suppling exercise too. You Isn't know, some, it though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yep. and very good, I, I think, just in preparing horses for collection, you know, just to be able to do that counter-canter. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. But talk now about the different types of canter. So we've talked about right. the counter canter. Now yep. talk about the can the types of canter within the canter. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So a horse has, you know, variations of engagement in the canter, and that just means the use of the haunches in supporting the weight of the horse and rider. And you always start with just a what we would call a working canter, just a or even bring it down to a Western rider with a lope, we would say, you know, an easy kind of four beat, very easy, slow canter to help the rider. But as the horse and rider are progressing, your first base canter is called working canter. And it's a distinct three beats. It has um, a modicum of engagement. The horse is in front of the vertical, you know, with his head head and his pole is his highest point and he's going along in a very um, relaxed condition. When you go from the working, you, you can teach the horse the medium canter, which has more engagement, slightly more... Um, um, a medium extension. It's not an extended canter, it's just a medium. Medium, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And you actually want to teach that before collection with most horses because you want to be able to get the freedom and the swing of the legs and the shoulders and have the relaxation in the jaw, in the mouth. And you, because here's what collection, okay, we've said medium is to bring the counter up a notch and to mm-hmm. have the horse in that, that same relaxed um, engagement and I don't want to use the word submission. That's all of the jaw, <laughs> the the yielding of the jaw. Much better word. Um, so that you're you're bringing the horse to the aids, and you know, and then there's free free work where there's no contact. There's so many variables. But when we go from medium and we want to teach collection, we have to build strength in the horse. So we do the collected canter only for a dozen strides or so and then let the horse refresh to medium and come back or to work and come back. Collection is not slower. The beats, the sequence of the one, two, three, one, two, three of the canter will have the same rhythm. It just elevates the stride. So it is technically slower. They're not moving over more ground. They're moving over less ground. But it's because of the lifting of the hocks, the lifting of the knees, the lifting of the back, the more yielding of the jaw because the face comes more toward the vertical. The pole is still the highest point. The neck is relaxed. The horse is relaxed, but he is pushing more upward than forward when he goes into the collection. And there are even varying degrees of collection because it takes a lot to do a counter pirouette. And here I go on a tangent. But when the horse collects, it's like um, it's like holding a box and just holding it up and your arms get tired. It, in any of the collected gates, you want to refresh the horse and send them out for a moment and come back to it rather than working it constantly because then you will begin to build suppleness and the musculature and you'll have relaxation in the joints and all those things. But if you hold it for too long a period, that it becomes, then when the horse begins to chop in the stride, set against your hand, he becomes uncomfortable, and those are signals that he's telling you. Collection comes, in my mind, after you've 
you've taught the horse to canter out freely and to begin to use the haunches more and then the collection and then you teach the extension which is just like in the collection the extended canter has the same three beats the rhythm itself it's not just zooming on ahead he is reaching more through his shoulder through his haunches he still has the relaxation in the jaw but his nose may come forward a little bit from the collection because you are allowing the entire spine to elongate. And it's different from the gallop. It's still a canter. It's still three beats. And the extended canter will cover a lot of ground, but not because the legs are going faster. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, we talked about the the working, the medium, the collected and the extended, which are the Mm -hmm. dressage purists canter right but then you also said oh and the western riders may lope and there was something Uh else you said which I think is a a Catherine terminology but I imagined a horse relaxing on a long rein I can't remember what you just called it (laughs) with the free the free canter that's right that's That's right so the free canter it's not quite like the free walk but but you can say a free canter Mm -hmm. so I think if you if you understand the working the medium the collected and the extended and we Mm -hmm. also talked about the counter canter I think that's important but again, yes. if your instructor talks about a different type of cant, or did just get some sort of an explanation from what do they mean? You know, right. it's yeah. all it's all semantics. We all have our the words that our instructors use, the words that you know, like all the things Mr. DeCunfi said, or things that I know I keep saying because yeah, he was my mentor when I was very young. But then I pulled in some of my own. And, you know, I worked with a lot of um, writers with disabilities and, you know, even students who were dyslexic. And I had to find all kinds of ways to explain things and to make it this positive experience where they felt a sense of accomplishment in getting something, even if it was on the stoic, um, absolutely unflappable horse on the lunge where it wasn't because they got it, it was because I told the horse to do it, but they still got to feel it. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. 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 Yep. Now, you talked before about the extended not being the gallop. Can you talk about the gallop? Because in the English language, the gallop is different to the canter. Mm-hmm. And uh, when a horse gallops, which is what they often do when they're just free in a herd and they're getting from one place to another and ah, kicking up and happy and they go galloping away. The gallop is actually four beats and that um, diagonal pair that lands in the canter to make it the three beats and then, you know, the leading foreleg and then the suspension, there's not a suspension in the gallop. The gallop rolls out like spokes on a wheel and it just goes in the, the same thing, the gallop to the right, the first beat, you know, in an ideal world is the outside hind, then it's the inside hind, then it's the outside, and then it's the inside leading foreleg. So they roll out in evenly spaced, like spokes of a wheel, and it is fast. And there's such a thing as a hand gallop that we do where we're, you know, the horse is in a controlled gallop. He's on the aids, and the rider is in a gallop or two-point position, and the horse is galloping on, and you have influence over it. And a gallop is different. And a lot of times a horse will canter when he's playing with his friends and you can see the three beats and they're just doing little circles around each other. But when he straightens out and he rolls out and he wants to go somewhere, it rolls out into those four 
beats with that equal space between them, and that's called a gallop. I think good exercises, good um, terminology, you know, there's nothing different in Australia. Than, oh, actually, no, there is a bit of a story there with the gallop. So in yeah, in like Germany, you know, gallop, gallop I can't pronounce it in a German accent, but gallop, you know, is cantering right. gallop, okay? So yeah. in the UK, in Canterbury, and no, it wasn't called Canterbury then, they found a spring of eternal life. Right, never wanted to go to the oh. spring of internal life. Ooh, and <laughs> what they did is they got in their horses and as the word spread, you know, from yeah. hundreds of miles around, everyone would gallop to this place where they were going to get the spring of internal life. But the horses got pretty tired and they ended up cantering. So they called <gasps> it the Canterbury Gallop. Okay, and that's, can- how, no, oh. that's how the Canterbury Gallop came in. Must have been called Canterbury. So the Canterbury Gallop came in into the language and then it was short to the canter. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's that's way cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway, so that's why, um, you know, some languages just have the gallop and some have the canter and the Mm -hmm. gallop. But we also make a difference between the canter being three beat and the gallop being four. Yeah. Right. And the horses don't have words for it. They just they just have do it. these things they do, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Now tell us, what about the laterally gated horses? You know, they're going to canter the mm-hmm. same if they're so laterally gated. I'm presuming you mean pace, like two legs one way, two legs the right. other way. Is that what you're meaning? Yeah, yeah. that is what yeah. I mean. The lateral gate is when the intermediate gate of two beats is done by the legs on the same side, the right hind and the right fore work together, the left hind left four work together. And sometimes that can be four beats in a rack or different gates that horses do. Um, and in this country, there's a lot of laterally gated horses, Tennessee walking horses, um, Pasofinos, uh, there's Rocky Mountain horses. They all will have, and it's a very smooth gait for a rider. That's the truth. There's not a lot of motion in it. But like with the Tennessee walking horses, and uh, we're not talking about the awful big lick stuff. We don't even I'm surprised mm. I even said the words, but um, the like the pleasure Tennessee walking horses, they're naturally shod or barefoot mm-hmm. and they're ridden in a whole different way. And they have pleasure classes, all these different things. Many years ago when, when I was growing up, they had classes that did not canter at the horse shows uh-huh. because it was a difficult thing. And it is a different thing for a laterally gated horse. And when you're asking them to roll into the canter, it really is, I'm sorry to say, a lot of work the inside sitting bone and actually bring the outside leg back. Because instead of coming from the trot or even the walk, to set them up subtly to pick up the canter is hard because these legs are moving. Um, ooh, if I could only, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how I describe it. It's like, I'm doing it with my body. One side's forward, then the other side's forward. The whole side of the horse. So you make a sort of an extreme aid to show them that we're moving on to something entirely different. Even if you're going on a a bend, which you can't bend real tight on a laterally gated horse. I'm sure some can, but it's actually a disservice to them because the inside hind and foreleg are off the ground at the same time. The tighter the circle, the more you throw them off balance. And oh, there's a lot. There's a lot of horses that have a lateral gait that trot also, like the five-gated saddlebred. And so, getting them into the canter is easier because they understand and they can do the diagonal gates. But one that has nothing else, 
you sort of have to let it step into it with a little bit of speed and a little exaggeration. And that's what, what I found with working with a lot of those horses through the years. And it's it's an explanation where you kind of leave no doubt. Otherwise, literally, they just speed up. So that, that lateral cake gets faster and faster because the understanding has to come from slightly bringing them out of balance out of that. Now, it's different if you're taking it from the walk or taking it like from the halt. But for them to be able to do that with a rider, they've had to learn it in another way so that they have the, it, it's rude. It's rude to just hold the horse a little bit back and then kick him as hard as you can so he jumps forward into a canter. That's just rude. So you want to teach them and then they understand, oh, okay, she wants a canter. And then you can do it. Like we didn't even talk about transitions and canter. It's a whole nother world. There's but, always uh, another podcast, <laughs> Catherine. So we can we can yeah. talk about a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, I tell you what, you would have to have had the most variety of subjects. You know, you really have because we've with such a wide variety of the subjects that you you've chatted uh, about. Um, it's been wonderful. But um, I yeah. enjoy it so much. Yeah, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, horses. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So the laterally gated horses in the canter, I'm going to leave it to you because I, you know, I mean, I've done a little bit more with paces. Ah, yeah. Yeah, and um, tiny bit when I was in the States with the, you know, with some of the other gated horses. But I think if someone's got a laterally gated horses that they need some tips on to get to canter, are you okay if they contact you? What's what's the best way to contact you? Absolutely. Uh, you can get me in lots of different ways through the, dharmahorse.org website and and we we added a lot of things on the website um for educational outreach so there's um modules health modules and there's old articles that i wrote um i don't have a lot of time to write running a horse sanctuary is a lot of work and um but there's a, a lot of old articles and things that have been put in the educational outreach to help people so our website is a great place for information and a way to get a hold of me. <clears throat> yep, absolutely. So do they do it through the website or is the email address on the website? It's on the website and and there's con- contact us and that'll come through in different ways and just that. Yep. But yeah, horses matter. Horses oh, matter absolutely. so much to absolutely. me on every level. And yep. I don't don't believe that I have all the answers and all the experience and that I'm an expert in the world, but I have a lot of varied experiences and always want to help and always want to learn. So uh, that's life with horses. Have you updated your website? I'm just having a quick look now. I have. Yeah, it looks good. We are really trying to push ourselves to to be more respectable. I'm just looking because that's your, your shelters at the front with the track system, is it? That's it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if people are interested in listening about the track system, I think if you go under the Horse Chats website and even put in, you know, track system, you'll you'll get that or else just go and type Catherine or type Grizzly and um, you'll get some of those. But go back to the horsechats.com website to get that info. Yeah. Excellent. Catherine, just a huge variety of um, subjects. I don't even know what you're going to come up with next, but I'm happy if you talk about transitions in the canter or, you know, transitions altogether oh. or, or, you know, just you've just got such a wide yeah. 
a wide wealth of knowledge um, that I can sort of go into. Yeah, I'm happy to happy to chat to you about horses. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, Thank you, Glennis. <laughs> no worries at all. Okay, good to talk to you, Catherine. And I think uh, for our listeners, would like to talk to Catherine. Contact her either through Dharma Horse or if you can't remember where, just go to the Horse Chats website and um, Catherine with a K and do a search for her there. Beautiful. All right. Okay, thanks, Catherine. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 